Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Hey, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to ask you to do something with me, all right? Uh, energy gets a little low. I'm going to ask you to lift your energy with me just a little bit, especially the rest of the service. And I'm going to ask you to actually participate in preaching this sermon with me. Now, we're talking about words. And before we get all serious about words, since it's the fourth sermon, fourth time I preach this, then I figure I got four jokes instead of two. I normally do two, one for each sermon. You ready? So what do you need if all your Easter candy goes missing? You need an explanation. Did you hear about the house infested with Easter eggs? They needed an egg exterminator. I love this one. Why do we paint Easter eggs every year? Well, it's a whole lot easier than wallpapering them. <laughs> what day do Easter eggs hate the most? Friday. All right. We've been talking about words in this sermon series. Sermon series is about words, and words have power. I mean, when we were kids, when I was a kid, we used to sing this little ditty when somebody would say something mean to us. We'd say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me or names will never hurt me. Yeah. The only problem is that's just not true. I was reading something recently and it was a quote by Robert Bun uh, Burton and he said, a blow with a word strikes deeper than a blow with a sword. And that is true. I mean, we can remember mean words that were spoken to us decades ago and some of us are only 15 years old. That's sorry, jo jokes. I'm telling you, it's the last one. Y'all are going to have to stay with me or I'm going to go those places. All right. <laughs> All right, so we've been talking about words that define the character of God. Now, I intended this sermon series to go one way, but when I got in it, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me and speak with me to stay with the character of God. So the first one we talked about is good, that God is good. You remember the guy came to Jesus one day and said, um, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus said, whoa, 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 why'd you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God alone. You calling me God? That's what Jesus was saying, that you calling me God. He knew what he was doing. He was saying, only God is good. And God truly is good. And Jesus is good. Then we talked about truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. That's not a truth. There's a definite article there. Jesus very clearly was saying that he was and is the embodiment of all truth. So truth is rooted in his nature, in his being. Then we talked about God as a God of hope, that the God of hope wants to grant us his hope. And today I was going to talk about on Easter, power. You know, I've been doing this for about 30 years. About 30 years I've been talking uh, on Easter every year, maybe a little more, about, about what it's like to experience the resurrection power of Jesus. And that's where I want to go on Easter, and that's sort of my groove on Easter, because I like to talk about the factuality of the resurrection and why can we can trust that it's a real event that happened in a real place in a real time in history. And, you know, that's my groove. That's sort of what I wrote my master's dissertation on. That's what I like. That's where I'm at. And a couple of weeks ago, God says, no, 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 you're not talking about power. No. 
got something different for the people in Easter. You're going to talk about love. I was like, love? That's boring. I want to talk about power. I want to talk about the facts of the resurrection. And God says, no, you're going to talk about love. So I fought with him a little bit, and he always wins, so he won. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor today. In honor of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to memorize the scripture together. Everybody together, we're going to memorize. Trust me, you're going to leave today. You're going to be so impressed with yourself. You're going to have memorized a scripture today. Y'all ready to do this? You think you can do it? He's like, no, I can't. I'm not, I can't do that. I bet you everybody in this room can do that. You ready? It's going to go on the screen. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. There it is. Look at that. I think you can pull this off. So can you say it together with me out loud? Could we quote the scripture together? Everybody, come on, everybody participate. If the person next to you doesn't participate, you're going to give them a big elbow, all right? You ready? One, two, three. God is love. That was so good. You did good. But just simply lock this in your prefrontal cortex. What we're going to do is we're going to say it again. This time I want you to think about it, all right? Because you've got to memorize it. You ready? One, two, three. God is love. Now, Father, I pray that today in this room, the truth of this scripture would settle into our hearts and we would leave this place today knowing not just that you are loving, but that you are love. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Hey, wait, before you're seated, don't sit down, don't sit down. You got to turn to somebody close to you. You got to give them a big smile. It's Easter smile. Leave your mask on. That's all right. They can see your eyes. So if you're joining us online, big smile for you. All right. You may be seated this morning. So as I've been doing immediately upon figuring out what the word was, I went and looked up the definition of love. And I found this definition of love. You know, the dictionary says that love is an intense feeling of deep affection. That's the noun version, intense feeling of deep affection. And then I read the verb version. It said that to feel deep affection. Now I got a problem with that definition because I read in the Bible that God commands me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he commands me to love my neighbors myself, to love your neighbor. And he commands me to love my wife. If love is a feeling, then how can I love God? How can I love my wife? How can I love my neighbor if I don't feel it? So apparently God is either commanding us to do something we can't do if love is a feeling, or maybe we have defined love wrong and we have made it a feeling when it isn't a feeling. So let's start with the fact that love is not a feeling. And if we define love wrong, we wind up defining God's nature wrong. Because God, is, God just doesn't do love, God is love. So love by its very nature and its very source finds its root in God. So if we're, we're thinking wrongly about love, we're thinking wrongly about God. Several years ago, there were some people that used a church van. They rented a van and uh, got this van. And uh, uh, they, we, we, we had this van. It was a gas van, 15-passenger van. They were taking some youth around. And you know what they did? They, they put diesel in a gas tank. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but that is not good for any part of the system of that van, Right? The engine did not run right. Nothing works right. Why? Because it is the wrong fuel and it won't run right. And if your view of love 
is mixed up, then you will never understand God the right way. It's the wrong fuel. It won't run right. So some of us say things like, I don't feel God. And therefore, because we don't feel God, we think that he doesn't love us or he isn't there. And we say things like, if God doesn't do what I want, he doesn't love me. And if God doesn't do what I want, he doesn't love me. That means either he doesn't love me or he's not there. And we get all goofed up. And what happens is you run into an encounter like I ran into years ago. My earliest childhood memory is inappropriate. I can't talk about it publicly. Um, it took me years to work through some of the emotions of this. And as a matter of fact, it goofed me up really bad. I was at counseling working through these things. And I talked to the counselor about why I was struggling, loving God, loving people, loving my wife, loving my kids, loving my church. I struggled with love. And so he went away and he came back and apparently they had consulted about it. So when the counselor came back the next time, he said, um, when we talked about it, we came to the conclusion that you've got a juvenile view of love rather than an adult view of love. And that really settled bad on my heart because what he was telling me is, is all the things I was living and basing my life upon were actually wrong. And it took me a lot of counseling, a lot of years to work through that. And maybe you're like me. Maybe your view of love is a little goofed up and maybe that's some of why you struggle loving God and loving other people appropriately. So, that's the reason I'm sharing this message today, is I want to help you get a right view of God's love. Uh, I was witnessing this guy the other day, and used to, I would tell a lot. I would talk a lot when I witnessed to people. And This dude and I, we were just talking, and I, I really liked him, but I, I started talking to him about Christianity and faith in Christ, and, and he started giving me all this stuff about why he this and why that, and all this baggage started pouring out of him. I'm like, dude, where did you hear this stuff? I mean, you have a view of God that he's angry and waiting just to condemn you to hell and he can't wait to fry you for everything you do wrong and you think God's mad at you and he hates you. Where do you get this view of God? And he said, well, church, and I'm sorry if God has been misrepresented to you by the people who say they love God. But I want to talk to you today about have a real, how to have a real loving relationship with the God of love, God who is love. There are two statements that uh, I want to talk about the source of love, and that is first, God is love. God is love. His very nature is love. So he's the source of love. He's the source of true love. First John chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There's our, our memory verse. You see it? There's our scripture that you memorize. God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. So he's going to start defining what this love looks like. He says, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So God sent his son that we may live through him. And this is love. So here's the definition. This is what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what I want to do is I want to break down from the, the highlighted passages, I want to break down three things that love is. Love is, first of all, it is not reciprocal. 
What that means is, is that you don't love somebody for how they make you feel. Now, my wife makes me watch all this crazy stuff on TV, Married at First Sight, and all this stuff. I'm like, ah! But anyway, I, they're always talking about love. And how does anybody in all of these shows know they love somebody? I just love him because that's how he makes me feel so good. Really? All right. So, oh, wait, 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 wait. So this is what happens. Guy sees girl. Girl. Right? Girl, very pretty. Girl, very smart. Girl, looking good. Yeah. Yeah. All of this happens. Boy looks at girl. Girl looks back at guy and goes, hi. Boy goes, hmm, love. She make me feel flutter. <laughs> right? And that's what we define love in our culture. Because she's so perfect and pays attention to you, you feel something, and that's reciprocal. The problem is, six months after knowing her, he finds out she don't always look that pretty. He finds out that she don't always look that nice, and sometimes she just, anyway. <clears throat> and what happens if love is the feel, like we define it, this guy can stop loving or not feel love. So love then, that's not love, that's actually infatuation where you're infatuated with somebody who makes you feel special. That's not love. And that's what we viewed love as. And the first thing we find out about love is that we don't, God doesn't love us because of anything we do for him. He loves us simply because he loves you. It's not reciprocal. It's not something you've earned. It's not something you've done. Second thing is love is giving. God sent his son. Twice in that passage, it said that God sent his son. He gave his son. He gave. So love is always giving. Love is always focused on the betterment of the one loved, not how the one who's loved makes them feel. Third thing is love is atoning. And atoning means simply to cover. So Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, they sinned. What'd they do? Took some leaves, you know, run around like this. God comes walking through the, the woods and he's like, Adam, where are you? Now, God's omniscient. He knows they sin. He knows they're hiding. He already knows this kind of stuff. If God didn't love them, you know what he would have done? He would have came through. Adam, I can't believe you did that, you know? But he didn't. What did he do? He came. Adam, where are you? And he's calling out to him to get Adam to move towards him. When Adam responded, what did God do? God covered their nakedness. And that's atonement. He covered them. That's what love does. Love covers because sometimes I tell a story wrong and my wife could correct me, but she chooses to love me more than get the story right. That's atoning. That's covering. Now, I'm not talking codependency here because some of you heard codependency there. You know what codependency is? Codependency means that, you know, the child is abusing drugs and the mom keeps giving them money or the dad keeps giving the child money. That's codependency, actually facilitating the destruction of the child. Or, or maybe the husband's looking at porn and the wife doesn't say anything about it, but just hides his sexual deviant behavior that grows and grows and just hides it. And those things, that's codependency. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is Dr. Timothy Jennings said, real love does the best for the other, not just what the other person wants. So what God does when he loves you is he desires the best for you, not necessarily what you want. All right, so Paul, 
uh, wrote this famous poem about love. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, and he gives 15 descriptions of love. Seven of them are positive, things to be done. Uh, eight of them are things that are negative, things not to be done. And let's just read it. Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So the definitions of love that have been handed to us is it's a feeling of affection, but that we've proved is not biblical. It's not how God loves. That's not his nature because God doesn't love you because he feels a certain way towards you. God loves you because he has the character to put your best above his own. So therefore, can we redefine love? And I'll give you a definition of love now. Love is a commitment. Love is a commitment and loyalty to the best for the one that is loved. Love is a commitment and loyalty for the best of the one that is loved. Regardless of how it makes you feel, the best for the one that is loved. The best. Commitment and loyalty. Now, I happen to have a video that shows exactly what this looks like because, well, sometimes a video says more than I can. This is the moment Richard Wilbanks wrestles an alligator to save his dog's life. He just came out like a missile. The sound of his puppy's cries are too upsetting, so we're not sharing it. They're like children to us. Wilbanks pried open the gator's mouth and saved his dog, Gunner. He had one little puncture wound. My hands were just chewed up. Even after being dragged underwater in the jaws of a gator, Gunner is doing just fine. And I was able to save Gunner's life. So, dude goes into a lake after an alligator. That's called love. That's for the best of his dog, right? Did you hear what he said about his hands? His hands were all chewed up. He suffered pain because he wanted what was best for the object he loved. So, second thing we need to know about God's love is that God's love is seen in Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, I forgot to do this. I'm going to have to wait a little while for this, but y'all look at this. See it? See it? Everybody see it? I got all carried away. I didn't do the egg. It's all right. So everybody can see this, right? Right? Right. Let me use my forceps here. I broke one this morning. It was a sad day. I broke one. I'll leave that in there for a couple of seconds and I'll come back to it. How does that sound? Y'all be all right with that? All right. Good. So by our definition, God desires what is best for you what is best for you. Do you really believe that? What happens if you don't believe that? What happens if that's not your experience? What if you don't feel it? What if I don't feel God's love and I don't believe that he wants what's best for me? Or what if what I think is best for me is different than what he says is best for me? What if, what if your view of God is different than that? I wonder, let me see. If I had it in there long enough to show you a little bit, eh, give it a couple more seconds. So let's look at the most famous passage in the Bible about love, and we'll come back to what happens if you don't feel it, okay? What happens if that hasn't been your experience? All right, so let's look at the most famous passage in the Bible. It's John 3, 16. 
For God so loved. So the first thing we know about God's love is that his motivation is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. He, that's his motivation. His motivation's not hate. His motivation's not judgment. His motivation is love. He wants you to experience his best for you. That is what motivates him. And, and he did this, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what's God's purpose? God's motivation is love. His purpose is to give you eternal life, not to take your life from you, not to give you a miserable life, but to give you eternal life, life that starts now and goes into eternity. God's best for you, his eternal life. You know, God wants you to be with him. That's really why Jesus came and died is because he, he wants to give you eternal life. Why? So you can spend eternity with him because a lover really wants those that they love to be with them. Um, and then notice this. We'll, we'll just stop right there. And, and if you don't feel it, it doesn't mean it's not real. Like when I showed you that little egg and I showed you, I showed it to you, you didn't see it, but the love was there the whole time. And like this red is the blood of Jesus. covers the, When his blood comes upon you, God's love is revealed in you. Whether you experienced it or felt it or not, maybe, maybe your experience is deficient because you haven't let the blood of Jesus and the love of Jesus cover you. And the third thing I want to say from this is God's desire is salvation. The scripture says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Notice that word, to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. There's that word again. But whoever does not believe, they stand condemned already. There it is again. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So God's motivation, his love, his purpose is to give you eternal life with him and his desire is salvation, not condemnation. Yet when I talk about God's love, most of us feel condemnation. There's like this, oh, I'm not good enough or whatever it may be that comes into your heart. Now, I'll tell you what this is. is when I was a kid, me and my dad, me and my dad made dinner one night. That was a bad night in the crow house. I mean, come on. I learned well from my dad. When I make food now, my wife thinks she's a goddess because I bring her burnt offerings. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, we, me and dad were making food. We had one of those electric stove tops. You know, you've seen them with the coils and the electric. And uh, so anyway, I, 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 I watch mom cook. And every time mom cooked, that little coil would turn all red from black to red. And I'd know she was cooking stuff. So I'm cooking with dad and I guess dad, dad didn't turn up the heat very high and it, it didn't go red. And I'm like, dad, the fire's not ready yet. It can't cook anything. He said, son, it's hot. And I said, no, dad, it's not red. It's, it's, it's not ready to cook anything. And he said, son, it's okay. It's hot. I said, no, it's not dad. See? And when I put my hand on that flame, I found out my father was right. Now, I was walking the other day through a store, and I saw one of those electric countertops. I saw one. 
And I will tell you, I got a shimmy shock even to this very day looking at that electric because, hold on, let me see. I had condemnation because there was a pain in my past where I did the wrong thing. And when I did the wrong thing, I felt the sting of the pain and the pain stuck with me. And, and some of us, what happens is when we start talking about the love of God, what happens is you have this guilt and condemnation switch on in you that keeps you from experiencing God's love because all you can remember is how bad you've been and you can't see his love because it's covered with your condemnation. Now that's a good thing if you're running from snakes or alligators to be scared of them. But if you're running from the God who loves you, it's not a good thing to be scared of him. So why, why then don't we just learn and why don't we walk away from condemnation and walk into the salvation he has for us? Why don't we, why don't we just accept it and become what God made us to be? Well, the reason is because that last part, light is coming to the world, but we really loved our darkness instead of the light because our deeds were evil. So what we feel is instead of God's love, we feel condemnation because we prefer the sin more than the freedom of God's love. Because what we're committed to is our darkness instead of being committed to God's love. Now, all right, so I told you I didn't really want to preach this message. I want to preach a different one. So I've been wrestling with God for weeks about this. So the other day I was in the shower. It was several days ago, I'm in the shower and I'm like, I just don't like where this is going. I don't know what to do. And, and maybe, maybe it's a shower that God talks to me because nobody else is talking to me. Nobody else around. Nobody wants to see that. I'm in the shower all by myself. And, and, and me and God were talking and God spoke to me, told me very clearly how to bring this to a close. And what he wanted me to tell you is the story of a guy named Peter. You see, Peter was, um, he was a fisherman. And one day he's fishing and he's out there throwing his net all night long, caught nothing. Some guy appears on the shore and yells at him, yo, Peter, throw your boat. Well, he called him Simon. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. So Simon threw his net on the other side of the boat. Miraculous catch of fish. And they come in and, and Jesus is there. And Jesus says to Peter, from now on, Peter, you're not going to fish. From now on, you're going to catch men. You're going to catch humans instead of a fish. I'm giving you a purpose for your life. So Peter leaves his nets, he follows Jesus, he walks with him for three years, he sees all the miracles, and then Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Judas betrayed him. How dare Judas do that? Well, guess what? That same night, Peter is standing around the campfires and a little girl says to him, hey, you are one of those followers of Jesus. And Peter betrayed Jesus. He didn't just do it once. He didn't just do it twice. He did it three times. So after the crucifixion and the resurrection, Peter runs to the tomb. He sees the tomb empty. He even goes in. John's standing outside. He knows Jesus is alive. He has an experience where Jesus walks through the wall and talks to them. And so Peter knows the resurrected Jesus is real. He knows it. But there's something going on because he's still got this guilt, this condemnation that he denied Jesus three times and they hadn't fixed this thing. So even though he knows Jesus is resurrected, he said, I'm going back to fishing, guys. And he goes up to the lake and he's fishing all night long and 
catching nothing again. And as he's fishing, there's this guy appears on the, on the shore and yells out, yo, Peter, throw your net on the other side. Peter throws his net on the other side and they get this huge catch of fish. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes it's Jesus. And he jumps in the water and he swims to shore. And Jesus says, yo, don't waste the catch, bring it in. So Peter goes back and helps him drag it in. They count the fish and they're eating breakfast with Jesus. And after they're done with breakfast, uh, Jesus says to Peter, said, let's take a walk. So they're walking and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. She said, okay. They walk a little bit further and, and Jesus says to Peter, yeah, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know, I love you. Yes, yes, I love you. She said, okay. That was twice. They're walking along the third time. Jesus looks over and Peter and says, Peter, do you really, do you really love me? Well, it says in this passage that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Why do you think he was hurt? Because it drew back that moment where he denied Jesus and he was hurt. And he says, Lord, you know all things. I can't, I can't hide anything from you. You know I love you. And what Jesus did in that moment, what love does to us, is it wasn't just forgiveness for what Peter had done. You see, Peter had abandoned his calling to go back to fishing. But in that moment, Jesus said, no, Peter, I got something better for you and I'm going to give you back through love. I'm going to give you back what you were condemned and let go away from you. Feed my sheep. Get your life back, bro. I'm not just saving you. I'm giving you back what I called you to. God's love isn't there just to keep you out of hell. It's to give you a life worth living and a life that fulfills the calling he has for you. So Peter, a little later, he's in Rome and they go to kill him for remembering and for preaching about Jesus. And when it comes time for him to die, he says, no, you're not gonna crucify me like my Lord. I denied him once. I still remember this pain. Turn me upside down. So Peter was literally crucified upside down instead of head up because he said, my Jesus means more to me than my life because he gave me back my life. So there's one takeaway from today is that God loves you and he wants to give you your life back. See, Jesus died on the cross. He was disowned. He was beaten. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was crucified with nails through his hands and feet. And he hung there on the cross, struggling for every breath. And as he was bleeding, he eventually said, it is finished, and he bowed his head. Now, I believe that Jesus wasn't yet dead. I believe they all thought he was dead. And I can tell you why I think that, because it says in the book of John that one of the soldiers grabbed a spear and shoved a spear between his ribs. And when the spear went between his ribs into his heart, there was a sudden flow of blood and water. That means the picardium, the sac around his heart, was filled with fluid from all the tension. And blood and water flowed out of his side. And Jesus literally died in that moment of a broken heart with his blood flowing, thinking of you. 
and they laid him in a borrowed tomb. It was a borrowed tomb for a reason because God prophesied years and years before through the book of Isaiah that it would be a borrowed tomb. Yeah, why did he prophesy that? Because God knew way back then Jesus wasn't going to need it very long. Come on, I'm just borrowing this for the weekend, bro. I'll give it back, I promise, I promise. So, and then on the third day he rose from the dead to show that God is love. And God loves you. So on January 26, 2005, a California commuter train derailed. 11 people were killed and injuring over 200 others. Guy's name is John Phipps. John Phipps was riding along in the commuter train, and when it derailed, it rolled over, and when it rolled over, he was pinned in the car. Uh, he was knocked out by the rolling and apparently, as he was thrown around, he had suffered a lot of cuts in his body. And when he woke up, he woke up in his drowsiness. He looked at his body, and blood was flowing out of his body. And he was bleeding out, and he knew he was going to die. And he looked at his own blood, and he looked at the seat above him as he lay on the roof of that car. And with his own blood, he wrote a message. I love my kids. And I love, that's his wife's name, I, I love my wife. I love my wife, love Leslie. He's wrote, written in his own blood, his love. Now he survived and when they asked him about it, said, what were you doing, some magnanimous thing? He said, no, 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 no. I've always told him I loved him and I just did it because I love them because it was what flowed out of his heart in that moment. And 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus Christ's blood flowed out of him. And he looked down from heaven, and I believe he wrote on the atonement seat of God in heaven, I love John. I love Kathy. I love you. Put your name in there. I love you. And when God wanted to show who he was, he wrote your name in blood as an act of his love for you. And I don't care what you think about love. If it's wrong, change it. Accept the love of God. Accept his best. Accept his purposes for your life that he wants to restore you to. Because he loves you. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you've never accepted that love of Jesus Christ, today is your day. I don't know, maybe you get some goofed up view of God. Maybe you just think he's an ogre in the sky hating on you. That's not true, he loves you. And I'm inviting you today to accept the love of a God who sent his only son to die for you. If you'd like to receive that right now, I'd like you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you right now. Anybody in this room, you know today is your day to receive the love of Jesus. Yes. There are others? Yes. Anybody else? I'll give you one more chance. Come on. It's your day. You know it's your day. 
Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Let's all pray this together. Everybody together out loud. Come on, let's do this together, can we? Nobody prays alone. Let's do it together. Dear Jesus, I believe you love me. I receive your love. Please receive me into your love. I give you my life. Thank you for giving me yours. Change my mind. Change my heart. Change my understanding. And let me walk in your love. And your purpose is for me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that, God took you at your word. He took you at your word. Guess what? You can be really bad at sinning now. You can get caught every time. You know why? Because God's not going to let you get by with all this stuff. God's going to help you walk in his love, and he wants you to get rid of the condemnation, live in the blessings. Come on, this is worth celebrating. And guess what? You are no longer a child of death. You're no longer a child of sorrow. You're no longer a child of this world. You are a child of God. You are a child of his love. I don't know. You think maybe we could find a way to celebrate that appropriately? I was listening the other day. I heard this song and I thought, you know what? Would y'all be all right if we like moved our feet a little bit in church? Is that all right with you? Well, you can't do that sitting down. Can we celebrate we're children of God's love? Let's celebrate it together.